The book of Mark is where we are this evening. I encourage you to turn to the Mark chapter number 5 as we are walking through this amazing gospel. This gospel that I had uh, underestimated in its importance. A shorter gospel. One that does not include much of what the other gospels included. So I figured it's kind of just the leftover gospel. Little did I realize that God had chosen to use this gospel in a most remarkable way as Mark looks at Jesus as a servant. As a servant. Let me Mark chapter 5. I want to read for you the first verse and we'll pray. Mark 5, verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. Dear Lord, thank you for your love and thank you for this evening that we've had. We've been inspired this evening. We've been challenged, encouraged. And Lord, I pray that you will now meet with us in a very special way and lead us and guide us. We'll thank you for what you're going to do, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. A previous chapter, we saw Jesus teaching parables. We talked about what the parables were and how Jesus used the parables. He did so along the seashore in Galilee. If you remember, the, the crowds gathered so much, they pushed him back. Pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. Just such a great crowd. Now he has no place to go because behind him is the Sea of Galilee. He's right on the edge. <clears throat> the next time he did that, they actually put him in a boat. So now he's teaching these parables from a boat. When he is done, verse 1 says, they came to the other side of the sea. Jesus told his disciples they were going to pass over to the other side in the last chapter, verse 35, and during the trip they faced a great storm. Now, this all happened last chapter, this incredible storm that caused the disciples to fear for their lives. Now, Jesus was asleep. You've got to give it to him. I mean, he had been working around the clock, exhausting himself, staying up all night praying, and then giving of himself all day long, he was physically and emotionally exhausted. So he's on the lower deck of the boat, out cold. Now this wind has whipped up, and it is a ferocious, ferocious wind. The Sea of Galilee is famous for being the lowest freshwater lake in the world, at approximately 700 feet below sea level. It's about eight miles at its widest, it would have taken the disciples about two hours to cross the lake if the winds were favorable. It's relatively shallow for such a large lake. Because of that, because of the situation, winds will often sweep down the surrounding hills and whip up large waves, sometimes creating intense storms like that one the fearful disciples were experienced with Jesus at the bottom of the boat. As they cried out in terror to Jesus, woke him up, does not tell us what kind of an attitude Jesus was when he woke up. I don't always wake up with a sweet attitude. Sometimes I'm not that sweet, especially if I don't know who I am. Well, Jesus was awakened from a deep sleep, and he gets up, and he realizes what's happening, and he realizes the spiritual condition of his disciples, and then he says to the storm, be still, hushed. Be muzzled, he said. And of course, the storm immediately, immediately quieted. And we learned something interesting. The, the language tells us that the disciples feared the 
great storm. It was a mega, was the word, the mega storm. After the storm was calmed, so the disciples feared with a mega fear, Jesus. Their fear went from the storm to this one who has the power to calm the storm. Jesus ministered throughout Galilee, which was situated to the west of the Sea of Galilee. He had become established in and around Capernaum. This region in which he ministered was mostly Jewish. On the other side of the lake, it was quite the opposite. When the Romans conquered Syria in 65 BC, they rebuilt and gave certain privileges to the ten cities located there. And they named them Decapolis. Among those cities were Philadelphia, Pella, where the Christians fled just before Jerusalem was destroyed, Damascus, Hippos, and Gadara. They've unearthed temples to Zeus, Aphrodite, and Dionysus and Hippos, as the Greeks worshipped dozens of gods. So Jesus and his disciples traveled across the lake from the Jewish settlement on the west to the pagan, unclean, Greek stronghold on the east. In verse 2, And when he was come out of the ship, Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. It's interesting because all we hear of the disciples in this story is previous chapter, they had feared the great storm. Then they had feared Jesus' great power. Apparently, these disciples chose to stay on the boat. It says, he got out. Never mentions the disciples. So Jesus is now alone ministering to this demoniac. Verse 3 and 4. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had often been bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Apparently the folks in the cities had tried their best to control this man. They'd caught him, they'd put these shackles on him, but he broke free from these because he had a superhuman strength. He would not submit to anyone. He violently broke any form of authority over him. So we see in this man who met Jesus, who is filled, we learn, with these demons, we see a rebellious spirit. In Psalm 68 and verse 6, God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. You see, the life that Satan had in this man, for Satan had taken over this man. And the life that he was living was a rebellious life. It was also, in verse number 5, a tormented life. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Though the life that Satan offers oftentimes looks appealing. Oh, on this side, it looks very exciting. And it, and it stirs our senses. Oh, the bright lights, the excitement. It looks so much fun. But Satan 
never shows us the other side, the side that one exists in when he has his hooks. And on that side is a tormented side, for this poor man was lonely. It says, always in the mountains, it says of him. His behavior had driven him away from society. He had no friends. He had nobody caring for him, nobody loving him, because he was so obnoxious in his behavior. The Bible says he was crying. He's crying out in agony. The word means to scream or to cry out or to shriek. In your mind, you can see this man is filled with demons. You can just begin to imagine the sounds coming from this man as he is tormented. In every way, he was racked with pain, emotional. He could not find freedom. And then it tells us he was cutting himself with stones. I'm told that cutters get so full of emotional pain, they begin hating themselves. Begin looking for ways to give themselves physical pain to try and mask the hurt that's in their heart. I remember a young lady coming into my office in Illinois, and the, and the lady that was working with her told her to roll up her sleeves. And as she did, she revealed hundreds of scars on her arms. She said, I'm not going to show you, but I have scars just like this up and down my legs. And for years, she had gone back into her room, and she had started cutting herself. What would cause somebody to want to? hurt themselves so badly until you understand that the emotional pain that she was experiencing was far, far greater than any physical pain that she could give to herself. This man was self-loathing. He hated himself for what he was doing. It got so bad he couldn't stand himself. In verse number six, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Isn't that interesting? This man who was filled with these demons, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. He's perched along the side of this hill, living among the tombs. So to get from where he was down to the seashore was quite a distance. They wouldn't put tombs along the seashore. Up on the side of the hill, he had to run down the hill to see this Jesus. The demons are forced to submit to Jesus' authority. In James 2.19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. Thou devils also believe and tremble. He ran toward Jesus. You see, among the demons, this was a forced submission. In verse 7, And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now it's interesting in this, in this scene, we're not told exactly, is this the man, the man who's filled with demons, or is this the voice of the demons inside of him, or is this a combination of both? Either the demon cried out through the man, pleading for mercy, or 
The man cried out in his confused state, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? The demon knew that his future would be in hell, and he begged him not to send him there yet. The man must have longed to be free of the bondage that held him so securely, and may have sensed that Jesus was his only hope. Verse number 8, For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. I found this interesting. The language here suggests that Jesus had been repeatedly ordering the demon to come out of the man. Though Jesus had the power necessary, likely through the Holy Spirit, to immediately force these demons to leave, he chose instead to carry on a conversation with the demon. Verse 9, And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. A Roman legion had 6,826 men, I read. His name may have suggested that number of demons in this man. Over 6,000. Or it may have simply referred to a massive number. In any case, this man had a multitude of demons inside of him. There's much about the demonic world we do not know. There's much of which goes on in the world that we are unaware of. Ours is not called to get into battle with demons. Ours is called to, by the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, to take the Word of God and to His stronghold. And when atheists, those who are committed to not believing in God, say, I don't believe in God, ours is to go into that stronghold and preach Christ. It's to tell them of the love of God. To tell them our testimony. Let me tell you what Christ has done for me. Isn't it interesting? I found it so interesting what God can use to reach somebody. He didn't reach me through New Age tapes. But he knew what Nathan needed. He didn't reach you the same way he reached me. There are going to be people that only you can minister to. Because you have that unique mix of your life experience that the person you're going to needs to hear from. What is thy name? Legion. Verse 10, he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. I found this interesting. The demon said, don't send us away from this country. Now, we're not told why. We make some suppositions here, likely because of the control they had in that region. Do you understand? 6,000 demons could pose quite a bit of control over a localized region. They didn't want to leave that region. They controlled it. They controlled the businesses. They controlled the state churches. They controlled the people's hearts. They controlled the television stations. They controlled the internet. 
The demons were over this area and had great control. Of they didn't want to leave it. These people were steeped in pagan idolatry. Verse 11 and 12. Now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter unto them. Do you think that's just coincidence? Send us to the pigs. Now what do these pigs mean to Jews? Jesus, a Jew, is standing there in front of these demons, and the demons cried out and said, send us to the swine. And Jesus is thinking, how appropriate. How appropriate. Unclean wants unclean. This land that he was in, standing in, Gadara, this land around Gadara, the Decapolis, is an unclean area. The Jews are on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus came across the sea just to be in this unclean region. Shouldn't surprise him, there's a huge herd of pigs. Unclean. He gave them their desire. Verse 13, and forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Jesus gave the disciples, or the, 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 the devils, the devils, their, their, I'm sorry, Jesus gave the devils their desire. They said, let us go into the swine, the pigs. Well, if there were 6,000 plus demons, each of them had to share a pig. They went in the pig. And what did they do? They drove them mad. They run over the cliff and they drowned themselves. Why? Because the devil wants to seek and destroy. He finds great joy in destruction, destroying. These demons were not going to be satisfied until they could destroy something. Give us something to destroy. Give us something to ruin. Give us something to, to, to wipe out. I know. Let's wipe out these pigs. Why? 2,000 pigs? That's, that's somebody's wealth. That's somebody's assets. Let me destroy somebody's life, said the demons. Jesus likely used this opportunity to allow the Gadarenes to see how powerful and ruthless demons can be and to emphasize that the pigs were unclean and forbidden by Jewish law. We tend to underestimate how ugly the devil is, how ruthless, how unfair he is, how hateful he is. Do we tend sometimes to relegate him to, oh, he's not that bad. It's temptation. I know, I know the devil's tempting, but it's not that bad. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? The worst. That's what could happen. The worst. Verse 14, and they, they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. These uh, keepers of pigs, they saw what happened. They watched the pigs, the whole herd of 2,000 pigs go screaming over the cliff and killing themselves. Whoa! 
Now, off to the side, they see this demoniac, the man whom they had feared previously. And he's sitting over there talking very coherently to Jesus. He's in his right mind. They've never seen him in his right mind. He's in his right mind. These pigs are crazy. He's not. What happened? His craziness passed to them. It had been an incredible experience. They were really shook up. And they went into the city to tell others what they had seen. A wild man of the tombs is, 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 is healed. But the pigs went crazy and they killed themselves. Everywhere they went telling the story. We have experienced a far greater miracle. We were dead in our sins. We watched Jesus forgive us and give us life. Shouldn't we be excitedly telling others what we've seen? Verse 15, And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Notice, and they were afraid. Isn't amazing these two chapters how many times we see fear and where that fear is being transferred now they see this man who they did fear he's he healed now now they're fearing once again whoa some incredible power has been involved here jesus showed up this man is healed the pigs are dead whoa there's a powerful source here the word they were afraid, literally means they became afraid, like the disciples fearing the storm. And after Jesus calmed the storm, they feared Jesus. These Gadarenes feared the demoniac. But now when he is healed, they're beginning to fear Jesus as well. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You see, for the first time, they're just getting over to the very beginning of a possibility of getting it. Of getting it. This Jesus. Verse 16, and They that saw it told them how it befell to them that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. I figured if each pig cost about $350, I looked it up and the numbers are all over the board. We take an average, around $350 apiece. That would total around $700,000. Now, how would you react if $700,000 of your assets, wouldn't it be great to have that much? If $700,000 of your assets went diving over a cliff, might you be a little upset? That was your livelihood? Now, these Gadarenes may have had some appreciation for what they saw in this man who's been delivered. They may. The man has been out of his mind in torments, crying out day and night. Now, he apparently has been healed. But after all, they've lost their money. What's more important? It was time for Jesus to leave. He's made a mess of things around here. It's time for him to leave thought about the times that we've driven Jesus away because of the mess that we thought he created in our lives. 
we can see is how we're affected. We shield our eyes from what's happening to those around us because we see the mess in our lives. He's allowed us to lose our job. Or he allowed us to have some kind of a disease. We have no conception of anybody else out there because all we can see is right here. Is it possible that Jesus might be using us to bring somebody to him? They feared him. They took the right first step. They feared the proper one. They need not fear the demons. They need to fear Jesus. But instead of praying him to depart, they need to pray him to come in. Verse 18, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. I love this. We see this incredible relationship. This man has now been delivered he owes everything to Jesus. Jesus, I want to go with you wherever you're going to go. I want to go with you as Jesus is climbing in the ship. The disciples still there, like, can't believe what they just saw. They didn't go with Jesus, still in the boat, apparently. <laughs> he climbs in the boat, and the demoniac wants, the freed demoniac, wants to come with Jesus. But now notice what Jesus said. Verse 19 and 20. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not. He wouldn't allow him to. But saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. You see, Jesus had a much bigger plan for this man. A much bigger plan than just to come back with him. In John 15, 14, it says, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Do you want to be my friend, he says to this freed man? Do you want to be my friend? I need you to do what I say. I'm going to have you take your message of how you've been delivered and share it with all those people who before feared you. The man took this message and went to the, all those pagan cities, those ten cities of Decapolis. More than likely, this man went from city to city, and they all knew him. Aren't you the man that cried out in torments? Are you the man that was healed? What a testimony this man had. Verse 21 is an amazing verse to me, and I've never seen this before. Thank you, Gary. It says this in verse 21, And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. We began our discussion back in verse 1. Jesus had told his disciples, after, the, after, after all the speaking, let's go to the other side. From the safety of their Jewish settlement, let's go across the Sea of Galilee to the pagan side. What did he do? He met this demon-possessed man and dealt with him. When he was finished, what did he do? He got back in the boat. All right, fellas, let's go back. Why did they cross the lake? And this is not a joke. <laughs> Why did they go from this side of the lake to that side and back? Don't you think these disciples are thinking, Lord, you, make us, you made us go through a great storm. We were afraid for our lives. 
Lord, you mean this whole thing is just meant for one man? Lord, what are you thinking to put us through all this just for one person? Couldn't you send a telegram? First of all, to Jesus, one person was worth it all. He was worth it all. If Jesus could reach one person, he was willing to do whatever it took to reach that one person. What we see as we read through this, <laughs> Jesus' vision was so much bigger than just one person. Because Jesus knew that as he touched one person, one person that would have an incredible testimony, that could take that testimony and run through all the pagan cities of Decapolis and share a testimony that nobody else on the other side could do. It was time to return home. He did it for one man. He did it for one region. They came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes, we learned. In verse 21, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side. Over? Look at that. Has God ever asked you to do something that seemed totally ridiculous? Has he messed your life up to where you say, why in the world did God make me go through all that? Is it possible because God had a vision that was so much greater than you could begin to imagine? Don't you think it would be wise for us instead of us saying, God, what are you doing? Say, God, I don't understand, but here am I. Use me, send me, I'll, whatever I can do for you. I'm yours. We sing the little song, take my life and let it be, and I'm afraid too many of us mean by that, just let me be. Take my life, Lord. Is that your testimony? I hope it is. As we begin this year, and it's an amazing, here we are at the beginning of 2024. I don't know what God's going to do, but I know this. If the Lord does not return this year, some of the people I'm looking at in this audience are going to go through some very intense trials. That's life. And instead of getting bitter over them, let's just decide God's got a divine purpose for this trial. I want to be for him whatever it takes. <laughs> and can we say, Lord, I don't understand, but I'm going to thank you for it. Thanking him for all things. This side, to this side, and back. Lord, this is ridiculous. Or, Lord, I don't understand, but thank you in advance. Because I know you've got a great plan. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love. And thank you for the reminder this evening that you see things from a perspective that we, quite frankly, are too dumb to understand. Thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. And, Lord, I pray that you'll help us this evening to yield our wills to you and to stop 
rebelling every time something happens that we don't understand or like. But to, to stop and to realize that, Lord, you're great, and you're all-seeing, and you're all-wise, and you're all-loving, and we can trust you. So I pray, Lord, that whatever the trial that we're in right now, that we will turn to you and allow you to perfect that trial in us. And Lord, I pray that you might allow us to be a spokesman for your greatness. And though we may not understand what you're doing yet, Lord, I pray that we might praise you in the middle of the trial. And Lord, for those trials that are going to come, give us grace to go through them in such a way that you receive all of the honor and glory. And Lord, I pray as we begin this new year that we will commit ourselves to praising you no matter what comes our way. And Lord, we long, we long to reach others for you. So give us opportunities, I pray. Thank you for what you're doing and what you've been doing. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.